Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. Uh, We are in a series now uh, called Encountering Jesus, Experiencing Life. We've been in it actually since I've been back from sabbatical. That was very purposeful. We're getting ready to change that in a a couple of weeks. And just obviously uh, Thanksgiving is coming uh, uh, just around the corner, of course. Then we're right into Christmas. And um, But don't worry, we're still going to keep talking about Jesus. How many like to talk about Jesus, right? He's the center of our faith. He's the, the focal point of our, of, of, of our faith. Think about it. Without Jesus, we don't have Christianity. We don't have hope. Let me say it like that, everybody. And um, I, I was thinking about something as I present this to you this morning, that as we have gone through these encounters with Jesus... And we've talked about the, the people's encounters with Jesus and the disciples' encounters with Jesus and these miracles that ha- had taken place in his life and in his ministry and the, the changes that were made. And part of the encounters that people would have with Jesus is not just the miraculous, but it was actually his teachings. And his teachings would actually really rock the boat in that generation and, and so much so that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the religious folks would try to trap him, to try to get him to, to say something that was out of place or, or improper or try to catch him in a way in which they could, uh, you know, really remove him from the scene. And, and, and by that, I mean to kill him. They were looking for ways to kill him. And the wisdom that Jesus had in that moment, of course, he is the wisdom of God. And in, the, the wis- in his divine wisdom, he knew the words to say that, that would shut them down and give them no reason because he knew the timing had not yet come for his crucifixion and resurrection. And, and yet in that, he said things that would leave people with their jaw on the ground, just, just jaw-dropping statements and teachings that... People would say, whoa, where is this coming from? And I've never heard this before. And it was just so much against um, what they were hearing in that day. And sometimes, even when we read the teachings of Jesus in, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and actually other portions of the New Testament where we have his words recorded, uh, there are some things that he says that, that we're like, whoa, that's just kind of, oh, that's kind of weird. Or that Sometimes it, that kind of makes me uncomfortable, and I don't know if I like reading about that. And today we're going to talk about a subject that is, uh, uh, is something that a lot of modern churches are not speaking about because, because they don't want to cause con- confusion. And at the same point, I think that they're wrong because this is, this is part of our hope as Christians that Jesus is coming again, that he's coming again. And the Bible says that when you think about that and when you talk about that, you're meant to encourage one another with these words that Jesus is coming again. But when, when I was growing up, um, anybody else, did you guys attend watch night services on December 31st? Did anybody else attend those? Was that, okay, a few of you. Down south, where I, I was born and raised in Oklahoma, every New Year's Eve, 
It was like a watch night service. It, it, what I mean by that is people would stay up until you know, midnight and they would kind of pray in the new year and, and uh, they would talk about you know, what the, the, the past year held and what the new year is going to hold. And, and every, when I was growing up, it was like clockwork. When I was growing up, there would be a segment in there where my dad would open up the floor because he was the pastor of the church. He would open up the floor and have people talk or share testimonies or thoughts because it was kind of you know very relaxed environment. And somebody would always bring up the fact that, uh, you know, that this could be the year that Jesus comes back. Like, and I remember as a child thinking that thought, is this coming year the year that Jesus comes back? And it, it scared the, the living daylights out of me. I don't even know what living daylights is, everybody. I don't know what that is. But it scared me to no end to think about the return of Christ and me wondering, am I ready? And I'm, am I really accepted? And do, do, am I going to be left behind? And I remember, maybe you've heard this from me before a long time ago. I might have shared it. But I was the kid. Maybe you weren't like this. But, but I was a messed up pastor's kid, everybody. Because I would, I would lay awake in my bed at night thinking about how I, would re- how I would survive during the Great Tribulation. Well, I'm going to hide out in a cave, and I'm going to go get my food from here, and good thing I can hunt. And You know what I mean? Like, like I was a big, bad hunter at that point in my, in my life. I don't, even, I don't even think I am one now, everybody. But, but I, I remember being so scared. I, I remember one time they were talking about the return of Christ, and uh, we were in Medford, Oklahoma, where my dad had started a church, a little town of about uh, 1,400 people back then. And um, it was that New Year's Eve watch service, and they started talking about the return of Christ, and I made it look like I was just going to go to the bathroom, but I didn't. I I, I got up, and I I went out of the church, and I just started walking up and down the street, just scared out of my mind thinking about the return of Christ, because it scared me. I didn't have assurance of my salvation. And it was because, can I tell you something, everybody? It wasn't because of my mom and dad. It was because because I I had, had... been around so many legalistic people that didn't teach me about the grace of God and and about the mercy of God. They taught me about works, but they didn't teach me about grace. And everybody, that'll mess you up. That'll mess you up if you're not careful. And and of course, now I, I, I understand the grace of God and I look forward to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and some people would say, boy, I don't understand it. Boy, pastor, that you're asking me if you're... We're going to talk about Jesus coming again. I understand that there's three different groups of people in this room right now. There's a group of people that says, I can't wait. I've been looking forward to this for all my life, for the la- at least the last five years or the last year. Whenever, whenever you got serious with the Lord and understood the grace of God, you, you've been looking forward to the day of his return. And then there's another group of people says, well, I believe it. It's, it's in the Bible, but, you know, uh, I, I still kind of, uh, you know, wonder how is that going to work out and when is that going to work out? And, and I'm not so, it doesn't really make me happy. In fact, I've told you the story when I was teaching a, 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 a Gen X class, a, a class of about 40 uh, people that were all in their 20s. This is when we were up in Milwaukee. Uh, I, we were talking about the coming of Jesus, said, how many is excited about that? And nobody raised their hands. I said, well, how many are scared at the thought of Jesus returning? And every single one of them raised their hand and said, I'm scared. Like, I know it's going to happen. It's not that I don't believe it's going to happen. I'm just, it just makes me uncomfortable. And because maybe you don't fully understand or maybe you fully don't understand the grace of God and the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. And then there's another group that says, I don't know. I just don't know if I buy it at all. 
And isn't it amazing to me that sometimes people have struggles with this return of Christ, but, but, but they don't have a struggle celebrating Christmas when Jesus was born of a virgin. Like, that's pretty miraculous, everybody. Like, they don't struggle with that. They don't struggle with God created all of creation out of nothing. They don't struggle with that. They believe in creation. They believe in God. But when it comes to return of Christ, well, yeah, but is that real? Come on, everybody. How many know we serve a big God and nothing is impossible with our God? Amen. And if the Bible teaches it, we need to teach it and, and, and uphold it. And in fact, embrace it and live by it and encourage one another with it. And so my prayer today is that when you leave, that you're going to be so encouraged that you're going to walk out of this place saying, Jesus, please come back. I'm ready for you. Like even so, the Bible says this in in a verse of scripture, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And some people in this room, you can easily say that. And others are you like, ah, I don't know, but I'm really kind of enjoying this life. And can I tell you, you got your, if that's you, you've got your eyes set on what is temporary instead of what is eternal. Because the life to come is going to be so much greater, so much better than the life that we have right now. Think about it. We're going to be in the very presence of God. We're going to be in perfect love. We're going to be in perfect unity. We're going to be in perfect peace, everybody, when we are in heaven. And we should long for the day of his return. I feel like I've already preached and I haven't even started yet, everybody. I haven't even started. This portion, this, this topic, there are, anybody know how many, how many books of the New Testament there are? Anybody know? Okay, you need to study your Bible more. 27 books in the New Testament. 23 out of those 27 books, 23 of those books mention the return of Christ in the end times. 23. In fact, there are, there are over 300 verses in the New Testament that speak to the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning it is a topic, if you read your Bible, it is a topic that you cannot avoid. It is in there so often that you cannot avoid this topic. And um, we're going to encounter this teaching that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24. And I want to show you, I want to tell you something that this is just in Matthew 24. This is literally just a couple of days before his crucifixion. In fact, we would call it the week of his passion. This happened on, on the Mount of Olives, or some would say the Mount Olivet. It's the same. There, there were three distinct events that occurred in the week of Christ's passion, the, the week leading up to his Crucifixion. There are three separate events that occurred on the Mount of Olives that that uh, that are recorded in the Gospels and are really, really significant to the Christian uh, faith. One of them, of course, is the triumphal entry. Now, I want to show you a picture of the Mount of Olives up here. This is let, let's see that picture real quick. Can we do we have that? Okay, they got it. Just one second. That's what he said. I believe in him. I believe in you. I'm still believing. <laughs> okay, you pull it up whenever you get it. Okay, so on the Mount of, on the Mount of Olives, you just tell me when it's up there, okay, everybody, because I'm not looking. Everybody just point at the screen and just say, there it is. So on the, Mount, on the Mount of Olives, as you're standing on the Mount of Olives, is to the east of the old part of Jerusalem, and there is a ravine that goes down in between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And on the 
the east side of the Mount of Olives would have been Bethany. And there's a lot of times that the Bible records Jesus doing things in Bethany. When he's with Martha and Mary and Lazarus, that's in that vicinity. When they get the cult for his triumphal entry, they, he said they were in the vicinity of Bethany. He gets this cult and he's going down the Mount of Olives and everybody's saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Everybody remember that scripture? And the palm branches are there. That's happening at, at this point, this, this triumphal Entry. Then we have what we're going to be studying today. This is called the Olivet Discourse. It's when the disciples come up and ask Jesus in Matthew 24. They're like, okay, Jesus, we get you. We, we know that there are some end times that are going to be happening, that there's these changes that are going to be occurring. But when are they going to be happening and what exactly will be happening? And Jesus answers those two questions in a very lengthy way where he starts sharing parables and things of that nature. And... Um, in doing so, they call it the Olivet Discourse, where he just explains uh, what's going to be happening. And that's a portion of what we're reading about today. And of course, the third, the third event on, on the Mount of Olives was just in that, I'm just talking about strictly that, that, that uh, week before he, he uh, is crucified. In fact, this is just the night that before, remember, he is betrayed by Judas. And that happens on this mountain. In fact, the Garden of Gethsemane is at the is kind of at the foot of the Mount of Olives, and all of that occurs. All of that occurs right there, just east of Jerusalem. Uh, what would be a, a a a pretty short distance, although you would have to go uphill and downhill to go from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem. So several events occurred, and so this is his this is his discord about that question. Well, how will we know? when the end is going to come, like what is, what is it going to look like and what's going to be happening during that time. And this is his answer in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. Ready? As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Watch this, everybody. This is what used to scare me as a child. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the hand mill. Hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and, one of, and would not have let his house be broken into. What's this verse 44? So you also must be ready. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Can I tell you something, everybody? For all of the pastors in this nation and, and, the, and, and around the world that is avoiding this subject, it grieves my heart because in this subject matter comes these words. So tell everybody, you also must be ready. How many know that that is a message that our nation needs to hear in these days, that you must be ready? Like we can't walk as everybody else walks. We must be ready. Because you don't know when he's going to come. The Bible says that when he comes, it's going to happen very, very quickly. The Bible says in a twinkling of an eye, 
It's just going to happen so fast. And then all of a sudden, I know. There's some people, well, when is that going to happen? I don't know if I like this subject matter. Well, well, just relax, 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 relax. I got you. I got you. You're going to leave this place prayerfully, hopefully, with a smile on your face. And you don't have to leave this place scared or nervous about the return of Christ. Acts 1.9. Remember this? This is also uh, actually happening on the Mount of Olives. This is after Jesus Uh, crucifixion and after his resurrection remember he came and he appeared for 40 days and then he ascended into heaven and it was actually on the mount of olives this vicinity of bethany right there on the mount of olives in which jesus ascended into heaven and this is what happens in acts chapter 1 verse 9 after he said these things jesus he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight and they were looking intently up into the sky as He was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way. You have seen him go into heaven. He's going to, the same way you saw him go up, is how he's going to come down. So not only, in fact, the same way, but Zechariah records that it's not only the same way, but the same place. Zechariah, the prophet in the Old Testament, says that he will ret- his return would actually be at the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives would be split. Is it there? There it is. There it is. So, so this, is, this is actually a photo that I took a couple of years ago when my wife and I were there. And you can see this ravine that drops down in between uh, old, the old part of Jerusalem, which is where the dome is, Dome of the Rock. And then, um, of course, there's a ravine there. There's the, the Brook Kidron at the, at the bottom of that ravine. And then this is a view from the Mount of Olives. If you notice something that most people don't know until you get there, because you don't think of the Mount of Olives as being a cemetery. But actually, the Mount of Olives has been used as a cemetery for about 3,000 years. And there are 70,000 tombs that, that are more modern-day tombs, but they say somewhere around, theologians say somewhere around 150,000 tombs are located on the Mount of Olives. Now, that's just for the last 3,000 years. There could be far more than that, and they're literally, I hate to say it like this, but they're just buried so they don't know how many because they're not excavating a, a lot of that. And the Mount of Olives used to be known, was known as the Mount of Olives because that whole slope was just covered with olive trees. It was, it was, it was just an orchard, an olive orchard you could say, but now it's covered with tombs. And in these tombs, in fact, they say there are not very many plots left in which to buy, if you want to be buried on the Mount of Olives, there are still plots available. They are very expensive. And uh, they say in the next 10 years, there will be no more places to bury people on the Mount of Olives, like it's coming to completion. And isn't it amazing? I wanted you to see that because isn't it amazing that the God of life, Jesus Christ, is coming back in a place that's known for death. 
in a place that's known for dead people, Jesus, who is very much alive, will come back for his church, and we will be taken up to meet the Lord in the air. Can I get an amen out of that, everybody? Isn't that great stuff? So that mountain, that Mount of Olives, is actually the place of return for the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Bible says it's going to be split in two. And when that happens, a lot of people would no doubt say, well, all these people disappeared now, and that must have just been an earthquake, and maybe they got... Well, we don't know how all of that stuff is going to look like. We just know what the prophets tell us in in the Bible, what, what the Bible tells us about the end times. The same way he went up is how he's going to come back, and the same place he went up is the same place he's going to come back. And yet, and yet, yet, how are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to live? You have to live expecting the unexpected because he will come back at an unexpected time. In fact, the the Bible is very, very clear. And I'll read this verse in a second that Jesus doesn't even know when he's coming back yet. And I can just kind of picture him sitting beside the father. Is it time? No. Is it time? No. He sees the white horse right there. That's a sermon for another day. Hey, is it time? No. Okay. Because he's ready. He's ready to come back for his bride. How many, how many of you uh, were, were, hopefully all you married people are going to say yes. You were really ready to get married the day you got married. Like you couldn't wait to go be with your bride or the, the groom. If you don't have great memories of that, maybe you shouldn't have married the person. Then I'm just saying, but it's too late now. The best person you could ever be married to is the person that you're already married to. Let me just say, let me just say that. And so... Um, We expect the unexpected. We expect the unexpected. Many people have asked me, is Jesus going to return back in our our lifetime? Are these the last days? I, I don't know. I think so. I think so. But I remember my grandparents thought so, and they have since passed and are now in the presence of the Lord. But I've learned to expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. It's going to happen. Let me, let me say it like this. Number one, everybody write this down. Is Jesus coming back? The answer to that is, write this down in all capitals if you want to. Absolutely. Is Jesus coming again? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I want to share with you something that we haven't brought up in a while. And I try to bring this up about once a year because it's good for us. It helps us. It keeps us unified. And, and that's this target that, that I've been teaching for a long time. I want to, uh, let's see that on the screen. At the center of this bullseye, uh, are we going to have that one? Okay. Okay, just picture up there a, a bullseye, everybody. And at the center of the bullseye, I'm going to gotta start teaching it while they draw, draw, uh, drop that in there. At the center of that bullseye is the word absolutes. It's the absolutes. It's the, it's the center. It's what we aim at. So, so anytime we're teaching about absolutes here at, at, at New Song, we just say, hey, this is an absolute of Scripture. I say it this way, that the absolute of Scripture, those things are worth fighting for. Those things are worth fighting for. So if you ever go to a church and they say, well, um, we don't think Jesus is the Christ, you need to leave that church because they're, they're coming against an absolute in Scripture. But now the outer ring outside of the absolutes, there it is, the outer ring outside of the absolutes, that's interpretations, interpretations of Scripture. So, so is Jesus coming back? Absolutely. 
When is he coming back? Oh, well, now we have some things to talk about. Because we can interpret some things, but then even outside of interpretations, we have deductions that we can make. So I, I want to share, now just leave that, leave that uh, slide up there, because I, I want to come back to it in, in um, it just off and on for the next few minutes. And I'm going to read this portion of scripture. This, it's not on your screen. It, it is in your sermon notes. First Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Did you know that that's why a lot of people want to be buried at the Mount of Olives? Because they want to be the first ones in the air, everybody. They, they think, well, obviously, if Jesus is coming back in the Mount of Olives, I think the first ones that are going up are the ones that are located there. You know, like, we'll be first in line. And I don't, I don't really, uh, I certainly wouldn't pay the price to do that. Because uh, if I get there just a split second behind you, I don't think it's going to matter, okay? <laughs> After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord Forever. That is an absolute. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. Now leave, this, leave that verse up there, but I want you to write this down with your sermon notes. Number two, we don't know the hour. We don't know the hour. We do know the season. How do we know the season? Because we can interpret the word of God. That's the where we come to interpretations. The absolute Jesus is coming back. When is he coming back? We don't know the hour, but we know the season. We know the season because the Bible explains this, and we can compare what the, the scripture tells us with what's happening in the world today and say, you know what? This looks like the season to me. Or we can come to a deduction that, hey, it might not be in this generation, but I think the next one will be. That's a deduction. So the interpretation of scripture is what, what does the season look like? What's going to be happening? And the deduction is, well, I think it's going to happen in this amount of time. And if I were to tell you, hey, this is when I think Jesus is coming back, you need to know that's not an absolute. It's not an interpretation. It's just my own deduction. So don't, so don't consider it an absolute. And so you say, well, Justin, when do you think it is? I don't know. Uh, Pastor Justin, are we living in the last days? I'm living in my last days. And you are too. Because I, I only have one life to live. That's a soap opera, isn't it? Um, I only have one life to live. And I'm 48 now, everybody. I'm 48. So that means, I, I'm, I don't, am I living in the last days? I think so, but I definitely am living in my last days. Now, hopefully my last days for the next 40 years. I hope that. But I, I want to tell you something, that you only have one life. And so if Jesus doesn't come back for another 150 years, you're not going to be here in 150 years, so it's your, it's your last days. You see what I'm saying, everybody? And we need to act like it. We need to expect the unexpected. So we don't know the hour, but we do know the season. Watch this. Jesus, Jesus in Matthew 24, 36, but about the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, nor Jesus, but only the father. Even Jesus doesn't know the exact hour. 
He's waiting too, just like you and I are waiting. And that should comfort you. Jesus doesn't even know. But he's ready. And we should be ready too. Now, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, but mark this, there will be, this is the season now, there will be terrible times in the last days, that's what we're talking about, the last days, there will be terrible times, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Meaning, meaning this, it doesn't mean that we don't go try to reach them. It means that we don't act like they're acting because we're living in the last days. And we have to expect the unexpected. We have to be ready. And I know I went through that list fast, but I'm telling you, everybody, as I read that, as I read that portion of scripture, I see that now more than ever. And there are so many other scriptures that, that define what the last days will look like. And I don't know the hour, but I think that we're in the season. I think that we're in the season. That's my deduction. And whether you agree with that or not, your life is still limited. And eternity is a definite for you. And so we need to be ready. So... What's interesting, and I'm going to come back to this target then, what's interesting about this target is that, that the absolutes, they're worth fighting for. They're, 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 worth, they're worth, if somebody preaches a false gospel, it's, it's worth that, hey, I'm not coming here anymore, and to tell as many as people as you can, hey, listen, I wouldn't go to that church if I were you. It's just a false gospel that we help them, that we snatch them out of the fire, the Bible says. But then... If I'm teaching and I just give you an, hey, this is what I think. I'm just giving you an interpretation or maybe even a deduction. Is Jesus coming back? Absolutely. Are we in the season? I, I think I can interpret scripture to say that. Well, when's it going to happen? I don't know. In this generation, I don't know. Some people would say, I think it's going to be in this generation. It could be. But that's just your deduction. And don't ever turn your deduction into an absolute. So sometimes people have written books. I remember, you know, you might not remember this, but I do because I was growing up in church and, and there was a book that came out back in 1988 and it was 88 Reasons Why Jesus Was Going to Come Back in 1988. And it was a book that was given everywhere. And so Jesus, let me just fill you in. Jesus didn't come back in 1988, okay? So they got it wrong. But they took, they took their deduction and they turned it into an absolute. And that's dangerous, everybody. And I was so proud of my dad back then where people would give him this book. Here's this book. Here's this book. Here's this book. And he would just give it back to him and say, no, nobody knows. I don't want to read that. Then I remember him just, you know, drawing the line in our church and saying, hey, guys, that's not healthy for us because somebody's taken. He wasn't saying it like this, but this is what he said. Somebody took their deduction and they turned it into an absolute and we don't buy into that. I was proud of the dad that I had. His soul, he just knew the word of God. But isn't this interesting? I've never seen a church split over absolutes or interpretations or deductions. And the things that matter the least are what causes churches to split and, and causes disunity in the church. And those would be cultural norms, personal preferences, traditions, and feelings. Well, I've just always felt, well, that's fine. You can feel that way, but I don't mean, I don't want to feel like you feel, or I don't have to feel like you feel, right? Well, I've always felt, and I'm sorry, I don't, I've always felt, well, I'm leaving. Okay. You know, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, 
There are people who, who have, you know, really f- come and said, hey, this is, this is what I really feel. I, this is right when we started the church. There was somebody who came and said, you know, this is what I think the church should be. And if the church was just like this, everybody in this town would attend this church. And I looked at him. I said, this isn't the church for you. Because what you're saying is not who God called me to be. And I just had to stand firm. Can I tell you something? That was a tough day for me. And, and I, had to, I, had to, I had to really go to the Lord and say, Father, am I, am I who you want me to be? Do I have the right vision? Do I have the right heart for a life-giving church in this community? Father, if I need to change, change me. But it, it, I realized that the Lord spoke to me. No, no, no. They're just trying to pull you off path. But they had a feeling. They had a feeling. See, churches split over feelings, but feelings... Everybody, those are not absolutes. That's just your feeling. Well, I, I, have, I, have, some, I have some preferences. Well, well, well I, think, I, think all the, I think all the chairs need to be red to signify the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay. Because when I sit in a red chair, I always think, oh, wow, the blood of Jesus. I'm going to sit right here. You know what I mean? Well, I think it ought to be purple because that represents Jesus, represents royalty, represents he's the king of kings. I think, I think this whole church needs to be purple. Well, that's just a preference. And I've seen churches, I've seen people leave a church because they just had a preference. What, I'm just be bold here. Just everybody look at me because I'm, I'm going to say this right in your face, right? I'm going to... I can't say it. I can't say it. <laughs> it would be it would be too wrong. It would be too mean. It would. Can I? I, say, I really was going to say it. I wasn't joking. I was. But if you're leaving a church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ and is making a difference around the world, just because you have a personal preference that's different, something is wrong in your life. Because you got away from the absolutes. You think that your preference is more important. Well, I better watch out what I say. This bothers me, though, everybody. Because some people, they want to die on the hill of preference. And they forgot what they should be fighting for. Which is lost people coming to Jesus. And I think it breaks the heart of God. Because they have a preference. Is that too bold? I'm right. <laughs> Traditions. Well, we've always done it like this. Well, if, if you've always done it like this, and it works so well, shouldn't your church be 5,000 people by now? A church run of 50 people. But we've always done it like this. You haven't baptized anybody in five years, but you've always done it like this. How many knows that something needs to change in that church? Because all of a sudden, traditions become more important than reaching lost people with the good news of Jesus. And that's a, that's a troubled area. And churches split over traditions. How many know that the enemy has entered into somebody's mind, somebody's heart, somebody's thinking, and tried to tell them that their traditions were more important than the gospel of grace? That's scary to me. Don't ever be that person that protects your tradition 
more than outreach. Just saying. Cultural norms. People split, churches split over cultural norms. It, it causes disunity. Cultural norms. Back in, when I was growing up in the, in the 70s, even the, the decade before that, the decade before that, we didn't sing, in, in, in rural Oklahoma, we didn't sing hymns. What, we thought that they were hymns, but I realized now, after being a music major at a Bible college, they weren't hymns. They would, they would be something that we would call camp meeting songs. You know, like, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Remember that one? Just camp meeting song. I'm camping, I'm camping in Canaan's happy land. You may have never heard that, but rural Oklahoma, that was a heavy hitter, everybody. Everybody loved that song. Rural Oklahoma. We weren't singing necessarily hymns. We were just singing camp meeting songs because that was the culture that I grew up in and it worked for that season. But I'm so grateful for my mom and dad who realized that it was just a cultural norm at that time and it didn't, it didn't stay like that. And I'm so glad, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that we didn't sing I'm camping in Canaan's happy land this morning. I'm so glad about that, everybody. I'm so glad about that because... The method may change, but the message never does. Christ and Christ crucified and resurrection power and hope for the lost and life for those who are dead. That's the message, the gospel of grace. That's the message, the method that we use. It may be different, but don't ever fight over a method. But if somebody tries to change the message, that's worth the fight. You guys see it now? And you got to be able to differentiate between all of this. I'm kind of teaching two messages in one. I know that. I purpose that in my heart to do that. Is Jesus coming back? Absolutely. When is he coming back? I don't know. And, 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 and neither do you. And if somebody ever says, well, I know what he's coming back. Can I just tell you? I just walk away and, and, and just not, not give in to that. So what's our response? What's our response? Number one, be ready. Just be ready. Do we have 2 Peter 3.10? Could we pull that up? Is that in there? Yeah, 2 Peter 3.10. There it is. Be ready. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Who should you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. And we can talk about that for another, at another time. That, that's a lengthy Bible study that you would have to go through to cover all of that stuff. But can I tell you something? What this is saying is be ready. How do I be ready? Live a holy life. Live in holiness. Be ready. Be ready. New song, look at me. Look at your pastor. If you're a child of God, look at your pastor. Be ready. Embrace holiness. Walk in truth. Embrace the word of God. Don't forsake the absolutes of scripture. Don't walk away from them. Don't allow them to be debated. 
Live a holy life. Live a holy life. Everybody hear me? Live a holy life. Be ready. The second thing, reach people. Reach people. If Jesus is coming back and he is, absolutely, then we have to reach people. Jude, verse 22, 23 says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Meaning don't participate in their sin. Help them to to participate in the cross and in resurrection power. Don't, don't, Don't participate in what is leading them to death. Help them to participate in that which is life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody, we need to reach people for the glory of our God. Not only for the benefit of his kingdom, but for their benefit because heaven and hell are real. The Bible says we have to snatch them from the fire. We have to go out after them. We have to reach them. So be ready, reach people, and stay focused on eternity. 2 Timothy 4. Can we bring up 2 Timothy 4? In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing, and in view of his appearing, and in view of his appearing, and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, to suit their personal preferences and their cultural norms and their feelings and their traditions, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all of the duties of your ministry. And I would, I would say to you today that this message isn't just for young Timothy, it's for every Bible believer. It's for every child of God that we have to be ready in season and out of season, that we have, have to discharge the duties of our ministry. The Bible says that all of us, all of us have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Did you know that? That all of us, the Bible says that all of us have this ministry that we've been called to, and it's the ministry of reconciliation. It's the ministry of going and reaching somebody and bringing them into the kingdom of God and show them who Jesus is and helping them to become reconciled to God so that they can be with him forever and ever. And if you are focused on the temporary, you won't focus on what's eternal. And the only thing that is eternal are people. Temporary things are not eternal things. They're just temporary things. Your house, your car, your clothes, it's all temporary. But the person sitting next to you, or the person living next to you, or the coworker that you work next to, they're eternal. Those people are eternal. And so we keep our focus and we minister 
the grace of God, the Bible says we minister the grace of God in its various forms. So we all use our spiritual gifts and we minister the grace of God and we reach out to those who are in need of the gospel. And we do it for the glory of his name and we do it for their benefit because we don't want to see them suffer throughout all of eternity. We want to see them in heaven with us. Can I get an amen? Everybody, we've just started reaching lost people with the good news of Jesus and we're going to keep going until the Lord Jesus comes again. And he is coming again. Can I get an amen? Would you stand up with me? Now I'm going to ask a question. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I, I, cannot, I cannot teach this sermon and not give you a chance to respond. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, if this subject matter kind of startles you and kind of, it's not encouraging to you and you think, oh man, I, I don't really like this. I don't know if I'm going to make it or not. Can I tell you? We can settle that right here, right now. We can settle that right here, right now. And I'm asking you just to close your eyes. Would you do that? Just close your eyes. And I'm going to invite you to come to the saving knowledge. I'm going I'm to invite you to come to salvation and be saved this morning. And you say, how do I do that? How do I do that? You do that by calling out on the name of Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to achieve it. You just receive it. How do, how do you receive it? You call out to Jesus, say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior and I'm asking you to save me. And the Bible says, if you do that, if you confess your sins and, and you call out to Jesus as savior, he will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. And so you can settle this matter right here, right now. If there's any fear in you concerning the coming of Christ, we can settle that right here, right now. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that. And I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. In, in a few weeks, we're going to give you a chance to get baptized. That's, that's when you go public with your faith, but this is a private moment. You're not going to have to come forward or anything like that. But if you're ready to give your life to Jesus and you want to secure this right here, right now, would you raise your hand really high and just show me who you are? All right. Anybody else? Okay. I see your hands. You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Now I'm going to pray a prayer. It's very, very simple. And again, it's not about the words that you pray. It's about the heart behind the words. Because this is a prayer of surrender to Christ. You're surrendering your life to Jesus. And you're inviting him in. And you're making him the Lord of your life. It's a very, it's a very serious moment. But it is a life-changing moment. And if you raise your hand, I want you to pray a prayer that goes something like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in the cross. I believe in your resurrection. I don't have all of the answers to everything. I'm still getting to know you. But Jesus, I want to know you. And I'm inviting you into my life. I'm inviting you in. I'm surrendering to you. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. 
And Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. And I make that confession. Jesus, you are Lord. And as of this moment, you are my Lord, my Savior. And I thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins and cleansing me from all unrighteousness. I thank you that I didn't have to earn it, that I didn't have to work for it, that I just believe in you and you are so gracious and so merciful. You give me your forgiveness. You you bestow on me a robe of righteousness. You cleanse me from all of my sins. And I say thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me of all of my sins and making me a child of God. And that's what I am right here, right now. I am a child of God. Now, new song, could we all just lift up our hands to the Lord and just say, thank you for saving me, Jesus. Thank you for cleansing me from all unrighteousness. Thank you for delivering me from who I, from who I am and who I was. I thank you that you set me free. And I'm confident because of your power in me, because of your work in me, because of saving grace, that I will get to spend all of eternity with you and with my heavenly Father in heaven. Not because of anything that I've done, not because of my work, but because of the work of of Jesus Christ on the cross. I have now been forgiven. I've received newness of life. And I thank you and I praise you. And I give you all of the glory and all of the praise in Jesus' name. Could we give the Lord a hand clap of praise? And for everybody who you accepted the Lord today, I want you to go to guest services. It's right here in this corner closest to the sanctuary. And just tell them who you are and that you gave your life to Christ. We're going to give you a book called Fresh Start. It's just going to teach you about how to build your life on a solid foundation. And then you're going to just get an uh, an email from you or a phone number. That way we can just follow through and just make sure that you're getting off on a great start. Make sure you get plugged in, not only to this church, but to the things of God. So be sure to swing by and pick that up. And as Josh already said, everybody, because Jesus is coming again, it's why we're so passionate about church planting. So this past week, because of your faithfulness and your generosity, we got to plant four churches in the Philippines, in Mexico, in Brazil, and in Niger. We got to plant four churches this past week for the glory of God. Amen? That's because of you guys. All glory, all honor, all praise to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I bless my family. I bless them with every good and perfect thing that you have for them. I bless them as soul winners, as people who see the lost, who see the needs. They, they see the hurting. They see the broken. And they, they go after them, snatching them from the flames. Father, I pray that you would give us a harvest of souls for our inheritance, God. We know that people last forever, that they are eternal. Lord, I bless New Song with eyes that are not fixed on the temporary, but eyes that are fixed on the eternal as we live for the glory of your name and the benefit of your kingdom. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. 
thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.